Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Tonight is our very last message, uh, wartime letters coming out of uh, Revelation. We spent a great deal of time looking at the letters that uh, Jesus wrote through John to the churches. And then last week, last week, with all of the misery, with all of the grief, with all of the, the problems here on earth, with churches that lost their first love, with churches that were being persecuted, with churches that had seen so much that they were just apathetic to the movement of God. Suddenly John was caught up in the spirit, caught up into heaven, and he saw the throne room of God. We're in uh, Revelation 5. I'm going to start reading in Revelation 4 uh, just to establish the context. So if you would get your smartphone out or your Bible... Your notes. We're going to walk through chapter 5. And uh, we also are going to have communion tonight. If you do not, if you did not get a uh, cup with a wafer, uh, we've got extra. And I wanted to right now give you the opportunity to do that. Would you just raise your hand if you need one of those and we'll put one in your hand? Not from here. I'm not going to throw it. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Revelation chapter 4 to set the context um, for what we're looking at. I wanted to read through it. Let me pray for just a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, glorify yourself. As we read your scriptures, speak to our hearts and let us see a glimpse of what John saw. I realize without your Holy Spirit, we'll never quite understand. But Father, with your Holy Spirit, let us catch a glimpse of what's going on. In Jesus' name, amen. And after this, I looked and in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven and someone was seated on it. And the one there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that that had the appearance of emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones and on those thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white cloths and with golden crowns on their heads and flashes of lightnings and 
rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne and seven fiery torches were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God and something like a sea of glass similar to crystal was also before the throne and four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side and the first living creature was was like a lion and the second like an ox and the third living creature like like a man and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle and all four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around and inside and day and night they never stopped saying holy 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 the lord god the almighty who was and is and who is to come and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne the one who lives forever and ever The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their thrones before the throne and they sing, O Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. The first thing that he saw in the hand of the one sitting on the throne was a scroll. A scroll with seven seals written inside and out. Now, we're not exactly sure everything that the scroll means, and there's some debate, and people wonder, and there are a lot of interesting ideas. And in the context of Revelation, the scroll almost certainly is, in a sense, the title deed to all of the redemptive promises of God. The scroll has to represent, in my mind, the redemptive plan for history. This is how God will redeem earth from the curse. This is how God will redeem creation from the groaning and the misery that sin has put it under. This scroll is how God will redeem mankind. And it was written and it was sealed and it was in the hand of God sitting on the throne. And then, I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. The search, the moment he saw the scroll in the hand of God, he heard an angel cry out, who is worthy to open the seals? And John began to weep and cry when he realized there was no one. Because I believe John knew this is the promise of God. This is redemption. This represents the covenant promises of God to redeem his people. And John looked and he saw no one, no one. And and John is so clear that it almost sounds like someone applied for the job. Someone wanted it. No one in heaven was found worthy. And I don't suppose that anyone in heaven even moved when the angel made his proclamation because every single one in heaven knew 
that this is not mine. No one in heaven would have dared to walk into the presence of God in front of the throne and take from the right hand the scroll sealed with seven seals. And they looked under the earth and no one was found under the earth able to take the scroll from the hand of God. And I suppose that no one under the earth said a word or moved either because they were under the earth. It's a picture of them being in the shadowy place called the grave, Sheol, if you will. They were dead and waiting on judgment. They were dead and knew that they could not move. They couldn't even shake loose the chains of death, let alone enter into heaven in the presence of God and take from his hand the scroll. They could not bring redemption for earth and for mankind. And they knew they couldn't because they were dead and in that shadowy place called the grave. They knew they couldn't, but, but those on earth, and when I read that, that gives me pause because I live here and I know us and I know how we are. And I wonder in my mind, if given the opportunity, the people on earth would have said, yeah, I'll do that. I will step into the throne room of heaven and take redemption on myself. Because see, we do that anyway. We walk around and act like we've got redemption under control. I can't, we act like we can even redeem ourselves. I'm good enough. And we we usually talk about how good we are by comparing ourselves to somebody else. I'm better than, and you fill in the blank, usually with somebody that you don't like or somebody in history that you never met. Well, of course I'm good enough to get into heaven. I'm good enough to be redeemed from my sin because I'm better than, I'm better than you. And the truth is that that is not the standard being better than somebody or at least thinking that you're better than somebody is not the standard for redemption. And it never was. We think, oh, I'm going to get credit for effort. But in God's plan of redemption, everyone does not receive a trophy. In God's plan for redemption, perfection is the only standard And the people in Sheol, the people in the grave, knew that they didn't have it because the wages of sin is death. And death is the judge as to whether or not you have sinned. And they knew, locked in the the chains of death and the shadow of the grave, that they were not winning. They knew we failed. Death challenged us, smiled at us, and kept us because we're not perfect and we can't even get out on our own let alone redeem the world. They're trapped. But here on earth, here on earth, bless our souls. We think, I've got this under control. I'm good enough. I can be good enough. John, living in exile in a penal colony, having just seen the glorified Christ that was his best friend in the world, a man that he loved more than his life. When he saw Christ and realized the difference between good and perfect, he fell on his knees and he couldn't move. And John wrote, 
in chapter 5, no one was good enough. And he began to weep and he began to cry. The implication in the text is he wept loudly and long. And he cried because he knew there's no hope. He had been on earth, was still on earth, and looking at us, no one is going to step into the throne room of God and take from the presence of God, the throne, and take from, take the scroll, sealed with seven seals. And then one of the elders said to me, the Savior, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, and you can almost see John clearing his eyes and looking up. Look, for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And when then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures among the elders. Genesis 49, 9 He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. The promise of redemption came with the curse of the fall. Genesis chapter 3, with the curse of the fall, God cursed uh, Satan himself. God cursed Eve. God cursed Adam. But with that curse, when he cursed Satan, the very first thing he said, there's a redeemer coming. The seed of woman will crush your head. Now you will bruise his heel. And the whole creation has been bruised by the presence of the evil one. But, catch this. Jesus is coming back and he is going to destroy you. The promise was made in the beginning. And then when the flood came and you begin to wonder, the whole world is crooked. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And after Noah, God found a friend in Abraham and he promised Abraham, he said, in you the whole world will be blessed. And when you look around at the world that Abraham was living in, you begin to wonder, how is that even possible? But Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had a son, Jacob. And then to Jacob came this prophecy at the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, and he prophesied over his boys and the fourthborn, Judah, he said, you are a lion and the scepter will never depart from you. The scepter, the scepter. What is a scepter? The scepter was the emblem of the ruling king. There's a king that's going to come from Judah. And that king will always rule. And then he said, the root of David, Isaiah 11, 1 is what he's talking about, where he describes the kings as coming from David. The king of all kings will rule, and he will come from the tribe of David, from the line of David. It's fascinating when you read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, how many times they talk about the throne of David. Generation after generation after generation later, they still say he sat on the throne of Israel? No. Of Judah? Not often. He sat on the throne of his father David. It's almost like David is the only one that had a throne in the nation of Israel. He sat on the throne of his father David because the king will come from David. He said, when I look to see this lion, when I look to see this king and they, that who could open the scroll, I saw verse six. 
one like a slaughtered lamb, a slain lamb. But watch, a slain lamb standing. (laughs) He is standing in the midst of the throne with the four living creatures and among the elders. He is a slain lamb, but he's alive. He was killed, he was murdered, he was slaughtered, but he's alive. He's standing, he's not laying down. What is that? Isaiah 53, 6 through 8 said that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all, paraphrased, sinned against God and are in rebellion to him. Every one of us has turned to his own way. And God has laid, what? The iniquity, the sin of us all on him. And who is the him? He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep that's before its shears. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? In John chapter 1, John the Baptist looked up and he saw Jesus coming and he said to his disciples, there he is. Behold, It's a great word. I wish that it was still in all the modern translations. Always watch for behold because it means you didn't see this coming. Behold means step back, get your breath, open your Bible, get your pen and take notes because you didn't know this was happening. He said, behold. And they all looked up and he said, that's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. That's who John saw. He looked up and he had to be thinking, Isaiah said this. He said he would be silent before them. He wouldn't answer. He was slain and yet he stands in heaven alive. You know why? Because the wages of sin is death and he was perfect. Because when death smiled at him and saw him, death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't handle him and he stepped out of there and into glory because he alone is God. And he walks up to the one sitting on the throne, the lamb slain before the foundation of the lamb that took away your sins. Now watch. How does he describe him? He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Seven horns most likely implies strength and power. And the number seven often is the number of completion. He is complete power, complete authority. And the seven eyes, there is nothing that he doesn't see or understand. He has complete understanding of everything going on. And the seven spirits of God, probably in the context of Revelation, a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been listening at all tonight, you realize that I'm thinking there's a lot in this passage that I cannot tell you exactly this is what it is. Revelation is an incredible, beautiful picture, and I tend to take it literally, but I promise you there's a lot that we do not understand about this book. But that's okay, because John didn't understand it either. And he was standing there just trying his best to tell us what he saw. And the lamb that was slain, verse 7, went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And all of heaven must have paused. And there had to be just a moment of silence when they realized, don't cry, don't weep. It's okay. 
okay. Because there is one who can fulfill the redemptive plan of God. There is one that can open the scroll. There is one whose promise is valid, whose word is true, and who will do what he said he would do. There is one whose word is yes and amen. And he took the scroll into his hands, and they began to sing a new song. Look at the song. Verse 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Now let me pause. They sang a brand new song that no one had ever sang before. They sang a song that no one had ever heard. This is the first time that this song had been sung in heaven, on earth, or anywhere. They sang a brand new song, and look at it. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You purchased a people for God. You purchased them by your blood. And because you were perfect, death couldn't hold you and the grave couldn't handle you. And you stepped out of the darkness and into the light and you walked into the presence of God. And because he was perfect, he took the redemptive plan of God in his hand and he fulfilled it. And look what he said. You purchased for God by your blood people from every tribe, every language. You realize there are about 16,000 people groups that have been identified in the world? 16,000 people groups. You realize that only about 7,000, maybe 8,000 have been reached? Roughly half of those people groups have been engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ and half of those people groups have not. Half of those people groups have never heard the gospel. They've never been given the opportunity to repent. They don't know that Jesus died to purchase them by his blood. And just as a side note, only about 3% of the cross-cultural missionaries address those unreached people groups. 97% of cross-cultural missionaries are still reaching the groups that are already reached. And it absolutely breaks my heart. You made them the people that you purchased to be a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on earth. And look, verse 11. He said, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and the elders and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, I don't know what this is going to look like and I don't know when this is going to happen, but I'm telling you, I desperately want to be there in heaven at the throne room when every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in, on the sea and everything in them begins to sing blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. There will be a day 
when the groaning of creation will cease and all of creation will be renewed. There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There will be a day. But hear me. Hear me. We're not waiting. The church of Jesus Christ just sung glory to the Father and glory to the Son right here tonight. We sang here. And we must be about the business as a kingdom of priests of giving the word to the people that haven't heard. We must be about the business of telling the people that don't know Jesus Christ that he is real, he exists, the seals have been broken, the plan of redemption has been implemented, and you and I are now the priest anointed and ordered and sent to tell the whole world, every ethnic group, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, to tell them the truth, that Jesus Christ is real that your sins can be forgiven. Now I realize that, that when somebody says you need to share the gospel, it is easy to get nervous and hesitate. Man, I don't know what to say. But just, just listen to me. I was just at a camp in North Georgia, the Woodlands. Every Wednesday night, they run a group of students through every week. They run about 6,000 through in a week. Every, I mean, in a summer, 6,000 through in a summer. This summer, every single camp, they share the gospel. Plain, simple, straightforward. They don't make it cute. They don't make it pretty. They just tell them the gospel. This is the truth. You and I are in rebellion to God. And the wages of our rebellion is death. But Jesus Christ died to bring me out of my rebellion and into a relationship with Christ. Every single week, and this last summer in 12 weeks, 648 students heard the gospel and gave their life to Christ. It's just tell them. What if they won't listen? You're planting seeds. What if they argue with me? God has given you the opportunity to pull weeds. What if I don't know what to say? Just pray. You're not the one that saves them anyway. It's God. But how will they believe if they've never heard? How will they hear if nobody goes? And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, 
We appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.